DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We're joined now by Barry Sverluga from the Washington Post, columnist for the Post. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Barry, good morning. Thanks for having me, guys. So you wrote a column that caught our eye, uh, you know, the countdown to sports returning and people want any any whiff of normalcy they can get. These have been anything but normal times in 2020. So sure, it'll be weird watching the NBA play with no fans in Orlando and no home court advantage in the playoffs, but it's a whiff of normalcy. But in your column, uh, you kind of look at it the other way and you're ready to pump the brakes on all of this. I think if you look at what's happening in the country, cases are back on the rise. They're certainly spiking in certain states. Um, as we've relaxed restrictions and opened things back up. And then you put that filter on sports and kind of say, well, okay, what happened? The Phillies had five positive tests last week, or five players test positive, um, as well as some support staff. Uh, The Tampa Bay Lightning had three players test positive. Um, We know that in the NFL, a host of players, including Ezekiel Elliott, uh, have tested positive. Um, and this comes before um, actual practices and full team activities uh, have happened. So uh, maybe 10 days ago, I was like, well, this is going to be fun. I think, you know, you read the, uh, the rules and regulations that all these leagues are putting in place. Um, the PGA Tour is essentially trying to have a bubble that moves from site to site. Um, and I think I was optimistic. And then the reality sets in that, you know, we haven't even begun um, full-on practices to prepare for competitions, and you're already getting these positive tests. Um, why, what are we doing, and in, in, in how is this actually going to happen? It just seems um, a, a little bit, uh, you know, I mean, borderline irresponsible. Do you see a difference in your mind between positive tests and death well, I mean, one leads the other, right? Um, yes, I understand. And a lot of people have pushed back that, um, look, athletes are, you know, in their 20s and in shape, and, the, you know, the virus in most cases will not uh, impact them greatly. In fact, they may be asymptomatic or just have a flu or, or whatever, and that's, that could be absolutely true. Um, the reality is that in to stage these uh, games and, and, you know, even in the NBA um, bubble down in Orlando, it's not like the athletes are there just by themselves. Uh, coaches and support staff are, are generally older. They're going to be having um, direct contact uh, with the athletes. Um, I would also say that, you know, as as we gear up for this and as the, the teams gather, um, we should be prepared for an onslaught of uh, positive tests because, you know, people have been... Um, you know, at their homes and, and living their lives however they see fit for the past three months, um, they're going to be entering the bubble from a position outside the bubble. There's just no way there won't be positive tests. So even if you then quarantine those people and and try to clean up the bubble and make it as safe as possible, you're talking about thousands of athletes and personnel that you're asking all to follow the same rules. I just have a little bit of skepticism that 
when you're talking about a group of thousands um, that you're not going to find some folks who are like, I don't, I don't believe in this. I'm, I'm going to go out. I'm going to go to a restaurant. I'm going to put myself in a position where I might um, be more vulnerable. And then that person is going to enter what's supposed to be a bubble. And, and now you've got some cases on your hands there. So maybe I'm too much of a fatalist when I say this and too cynical, but it's gotten to the point there's so many cases out there uh, that you're not safe if you stay in your home city. I mean, look at how many athletes are testing positive without us asking them or demanding or expecting that they play games, that Texas players go into a party and so now 14 of them test positive LSU players go into a bar so now 30 of them test positive uh, the Orlando Pride women's soccer team four staff or six players go to a bar restaurant or whatever get something to eat or drink or whatever and now 10 of them test positive we're going to be swamped by positive tests whether people play games or not so go ahead and play the games I mean it's fatalist I get that but is it going to change anything I mean I think we're on different sides here. I mean, I, I think some of the stuff you're talking about, like where are these people getting it? They're getting it at bars and restaurants. Well, what, why, why are they open? Why should they, you know, we were at a point where um, we were locking down. Cases nationally were falling. Um, most places were that were following restrictions. I mean, look at New York. The, the biggest outbreak yeah. um, in the most populous place, uh, I mean, it was a, a you know, a death zone there for a while. And if you look at their curve, it is nice and flat because people there took it upon themselves to follow the restrictions. And in a place where, you know, you can't go on the street without running into somebody. Um, so I just, I feel like, you know, take a sports away. And I, I'm a sports writer, so I, I try not to, you know, get too out of my lane here. But, um, we were asked to be disciplined about something and to do something for the greater good, and we basically decided we're not going to do that. Um, I would rather sports be part of the solution rather than part of the problem, and I think they're headed to be part of the problem. So in the immediacy, we know about baseball and basketball. What are your thoughts as far as on this subject carrying over into college and NFL football? So I think college football is set up to be the biggest disaster possible um, for a couple of reasons. The teams are huge, you know, um, more than 100 usually when you take 85 scholarships and then all the, all the walk-ons at the, at the prominent programs. There's no singular voice, singular rule maker to oversee um, all of college football that can put in, you know, at least the professional leagues can say, um, work with their unions and say, here's the set of protocols and, and we've been advised by the same um, medical experts, and um, I might have skepticism about how it'll work, but at least they're they're able to work together. The Power Five conferences um, might come up with different sets of rules. There might be different sets of rules within those conferences as far as how schools are handling things. And you know, I keep coming to take a game on week one, September fifth. Um, Alabama is supposed to play USC uh, at. Um, the Cowboys Stadium in, in Arlington, Texas. Well, think of all the factors there. You've got um, teams, traveling teams, there are probably 80 players, uh, massive support staff, including coaches, but also athletic trainers, medical personnel, equipment people, um, media people. They're coming from 
you know, places in California and in Alabama where numbers are on the rise, uh, going to a place in Texas where numbers are on the rise. How is, how is that a safe endeavor? Um, it just seems like there are so many vectors where um, you, you've got these college kids on campus. How are they behaving? Can you really ensure a bubble there? And then introducing them to other college kids from the other side of the country to bl- play a game where contact is not only encouraged, it's required. Um, you know, you're going to be breathing all over each other. I feel like college football is the one that stands out to me to be the, the most dubious pursuit. Barry Sorluga joining us from the Washington Post, sports columnist there. You know, Barry, the way it works, especially when you're a place like the Post, you know, you have a chance to have conversations behind the scenes with a lot of beat writers. You've been doing it for a while, so you got your sources you're calling and texting with. How much of this behind the scenes do people take seriously? Because if you could gauge that, you might gauge when there's a tipping point where they might call it off, where they, where, you know, the powers that be, you know, powerful owners and commissioners, everything you're saying, if they're, if they're thinking it a little bit behind the scenes, it might make it more likely they make the call and stop everything, whether that's in a week or a month or whatever. What's your sense of that? Yeah, yeah so I think, you know, I, I understand why the owners and, and players and everybody involved is, is trying to put together a se- seasons in whatever sport we're talking about. It makes sense. There's a lot of money at stake. These guys' livelihoods, um, the, they want to be paid, but they also want to compete. And so you can't just, you know, go forth without a plan. And so I... I in a lot of cases, respect and admire the thoughtfulness that has gone into these plans. They're very, very thorough. If you look at, um, I was just going through the, the baseball back to play uh, plan that um, was, you know, finalized last night. Uh, there, there's a lot of science put into this, and a lot of um, uh, thought put into protecting everybody uh, involved. But in baseball, and talking to People there, for instance, um, you know, the medical people have told Major League Baseball officials that every game, even in a ballpark with no fans, is called a, quote, risk event. And and what does that tell you? Um, It tells you that when you're gathering uh, the couple hundred people that are needed to to stage a game, and that includes, you know, security personnel, um, ballpark uh, personnel, you know, there's got to be operations people, even if there um, are no fans, um, as well as the, you know, medical training, uh, coaching staff, all that stuff. Um, if you bring those people together, that is increasing the risk that the virus could spread. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to be realistic about how this will play out, but I understand why they're, they're planning, because they can't just show up on you know, July 15th and be like, oh, it's safe to play. Like, let's, uh, let's have a, a season. Um, but I do think in all of this, everybody has to remain flexible and not just forge through with eyes shut. Um, I think we have to have our eyes open to, um, you know, what Dr. Fauci is saying, uh, other medical experts about what's going to happen with the virus in the fall. Um, you know, but that's not just pulling names out of a hat that's based on um, the behavior of the virus, what happens in 
in different weather, um, what will happen when normal flu season hits and how that might be intertwined with coronavirus. Um, you know, it just, it, I hate to be Debbie Downer, but I think if you listen to the science, it just seems less likely that, that things are going to be safe to, to pull off sports. As far as baseball goes, do you think we can take anything from the Korean League being played? I mean, it's a good, you know, it's a, a good model, but I would also say that it's a model that was pulled off in a country that took the virus seriously and continued to take it seriously and didn't open up. And when there was a flashpoint, closed back down. Um, we don't seem to be doing that. We seem to be saying, this hasn't killed my grandmother, uh, so I'm going to go get a beer in a crowded bar. Um, and I, I don't mean to be flippant about it, but I think it's frustrating that, uh, you know, we're, we're watching these cases increase after we had worked hard to decrease them. And, um, you know, 100, almost 120,000 Americans have died, and somehow um, it, some people think it's a, a hoax. So but that, that, I find that frustrating. Barry, while we've been talking to you, uh, breaking news, the New York Times has uh, tweeted out that the New York City Marathon, the world's largest, has been canceled this year amid concerns about the spread of the coronavirus. So there's one event by the books. Seems logical to me, yep. yeah. Well, Barry, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. appreciate it, guys. Yeah, Barry Sverluga, Washington Post sports columnist, joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. You know, PK, there's a lot of ways to go with the discussion, but I think one thing that gets left out of this is when you're talking elite athletes and you're talking owners, and I know they fight over money and all that stuff and they need labor and all that, but when you set that aside, the thing they have in common is when you get to that elite level in business or in sports, you're not used to being stopped by obstacles. I think there's this can-do spirit. Athletes think they can. They have had multiple hurdles along the way that we never see growing up in AAU or whatever, and they got to be better, and they got to improve this, and they figure out how to do it. And in business, the owners are multi-billionaires. You know, you think a multi-millionaire is successful. I think 30 million is the official designation of super rich. The people who own sports franchises overcome so many obstacles, taking chances. I mean, Larry Miller would say, I look back at buying the Jazz and some of the other things I did early on, you know, buying the first dealerships. I took some chances I shouldn't have taken. Now I would, this me now would advise me then, don't take that chance. But they do it. And they figure out a way and they win. And I think when they come to an obstacle like this, I think there's something built in. And I know there's politics in it and there's money in it and there's all that stuff, right? But I still think there's something built in that that's what the players and owners have in common is, well, we figured out how to overcome stuff before to get where we are and we're going to do it again. They're risk takers and winners or they wouldn't be where they are. Well, yeah, sure. And there's a lot of money at stake. I mean, I respect Barry's opinion, certainly. But at the same time, he's not standing to lose millions and billions of dollars. Yeah. True story. All right, DJ and PK, there you go. Barry Sverluga from the Washington Post. Join us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Stay with us. Basketball is back. The Zone Sports Network is keeping you up on all the latest news with the Utah Jazz in the NBA. This is a back-to-basketball update. Oh, he never looked at the net. Presented by Zions Bank on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
Milwaukee Bucks coach Mike Boonholzer said having a healthy Giannis Antetokounmpo is a huge advantage after the superstar sprained a minor joint capsule in his knee on March 6th, but has since recovered fully. Says it's a huge advantage for us that Giannis will be completely and totally healthy. He's in a great place both mentally and physically. Lakers guard Avery Bradley has opted out of playing in NBA's Orlando, Florida restart of the season due to concerns about the health of his family. His oldest son is six and has a history of injuries recovering from respiratory illnesses. Bradley has started 44 games for the Lakers this season. Free agent guard J.R. Smith has emerged as a leading candidate to sign with the team to replace Bradley. Your Back to Basketball update is presented by Zions Bank on 97.5-1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on The Zone Sports Network. Spencer Cox, the Lieutenant Governor of the State of Utah. Let's talk a little bit about the Jazz in regards to that social unrest. And Donovan Mitchell on Instagram and on Twitter receives comments coming back at him. When you saw some of those responses, what went through your mind? Look, it breaks my heart, but at the same time, I think proves the point, right? We like to imagine that, yeah, this is stuff that happened 40 years ago. We're over this. We're a different place. We're better than this. And while we certainly made some strides, you see those types of comments and you hear that kind of feedback and it makes everything that Donovan is saying real. It is out there. And what I hear from black men all the time is that they're tired of this burden and carrying it. It's time for us to step up and carry that burden for them. And I'm just glad we have somebody like Donovan who's speaking out. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK is brought to you in part by Zero Res. A clean home is a healthy home, and right now Zero Res is cleaning carpets for $33 per room. Plus, schedule three rooms, and they'll clean your fourth for free. Call Zero Res today to schedule your cleaning at 801-288-9376. Thomas Wolf's coming up. He's got a new book out, The Called Shot, Babe Ruth, The Cubs, and the Unforgettable Major League Baseball Season of 1932. How and why is that relevant now? Why did he decide to do a book on this we will talk with him in just a few minutes. PK, tweet came out right now. Uh, Jack Del Rio, who's had a long career as a coach, played at USC back in the day, played in the NFL, and is now coached uh, for a long time. And uh, he is uh, he's he made it pretty clear he's a Trump fan. He doesn't care who knows it. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> so how much blowback do you expect out of that? Or... Because he didn't say anything much more else than that, it's kind of like, yeah, well, that's his guy, so there it is, and move on. Yeah, I think there'll be a tremendous amount of blowback here. Twitter, again, man, I am I am so proud of myself. I may get fired one day, but it's hopefully not going to be because of Twitter. <laughs> uh, Del Rio put it out there. Somebody said that uh, he's a Trump supporter. He tweeted, I'm 100% from America. If you're not, you can kiss my ass. And he had the A with the dollar signs. Uh, and he's, uh, you know, he's the defensive coordinator for the NFL team in Washington. Uh, so uh, there's political things and everything. I mean, the last guest who we just had on talking about, you know, he doesn't want sports to, to resume. Well, I looked it up. He's a registered Democrat. So what does that mean? Do we take that as, uh, okay, well, where's your, what's your agenda here? And Del Rio what's his agenda as far as that goes? Uh, and you're in Washington, no less. That, that, yeah, that's a, that's a loaded tweet. <laughs> wow, man, I don't even know what to say on that, that you would 
you would put that out there. That that's pretty strong. So, and how do you argue? I'm 100% for America. What does that mean? I mean, who isn't 100% for America? I mean, maybe, I guess maybe some people aren't if you're in this country. I know I am, but is that the way I would express myself? Eh, probably not. <laughs> well, I think I think most people think they're 100% for America, but there are people who are really combative who think the other side isn't 100% for America. You know, well, I think there's millions of people like that. Yeah, you're 100% for immigrants, or you're 100% for a guy who's tearing down the institutions that make America great, or, you know, whatever your politics are, you know, the people on the other side are messing up a great country. Um, but I think when people look in the mirror, they think, I'm 100% for America. I mean, there's probably some outliers. Yeah, my way. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the thing is that he didn't. Well, I guess I, I've seen the one tweet. I don't know what else is on his Twitter, so I should probably preface it with that. But of that one tweet, okay, so he's for one of the candidates. He's going to be for the incumbent. He's for Trump. So there'll be blowback. People will be angry. People will tweet each other. But he didn't attack a group or tear somebody else down. Specifically, that's the kind of stuff that people get in trouble for. They apologize for. They get suspended for. They get fired for. Okay, did Mike Gundy tear people down did drew Brees tear people down so drew Brees, i think people felt like they were torn down by him well sure but did he fit did he tear people down you could feel like you're torn down by this del rio quote too i get that i agree with you i probably shouldn't guarantee anything now i'll just end up having to say i was wrong tomorrow <laughs> 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 I mean, I think this is uh, a flashpoint, and it's certainly going to get people fired up. But I don't think, and, and the thing is, I guess you know, Breeze didn't get suspended or fired for it. I guess what they have in common is how. Okay, so now you've expressed yourself on this point. You know, whatever Breeze or Del Rio or whoever is next, right? Now, how do you go work with people who are 180 degrees on the other side from you? They are as far away as they can be. So how is that all going to work together? Which clearly he's going to face in Washington when the season resumes uh, for the NFL. Um, Obviously, a lot of folks don't like this man in the White House and think that if you support him, you're fill-in-the-blank loaded word, whatever word you want. I mean, there were so many of them, I can't even list them all. Uh, you're, You're pretty much everything that I'm against. How does that work? When they resume, I mean, we had a a player from Mississippi was not even going to play for the team if the state didn't get rid of the flag. The star running back. Yeah. Looks like an NFL guy, 1,300 yards, 10 touchdowns. And it's not, he's not telling the school to do something. He's telling the state to do something. Yeah, but I'm not going to play for you unless you do this. Well, we could have a player come out and say something like that. We'll have to see how this plays out later today. I'd uh, have to, in the NFL? Yeah, have to I, find would, I don't know that they're, yeah. gonna, they're not going to play for the team, but certainly there's going to be blowback. I wonder, why, why do this? Why put yourself in the middle of this situation? And, and now, now you've got to respond to that. Responding to a tweet, of all things. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by Thomas Wolf, author of The Cold Shot, Babe Ruth, The Chicago Cubs, and the unforgettable Major League Baseball season of 1932. Thomas, good morning. 
Good morning. Glad to be on the show. How are you doing? We're doing we're doing well. I'm curious right away. You know, there's a lot of things to write about. A lot of people you could probably have access to. Why does this story captivate you? Why do you think this story and will captivate people now coming up on what uh, 88 years later? Yeah, well, 1932 was a great season for baseball. And I think that's the most remarkable thing um, about about the year in terms of what I tried to write about in the book. But in addition to the fact that there was great baseball play that, that year, it was also a year that was a very uh, traumatic and pivotal year in American history. Uh, we were in the midst of the Great Depression. Prohibition was ending. There was a presidential election uh, coming up that, that year. There were demonstrations in the streets of our nation's capital by World War I vets. So there was a lot of social unrest, a lot of uncertainty about the future. Um, and baseball turned out, especially since it was such a splendid season, baseball turned out to be a diversion from a lot of America's troubles that, that particular year. And really, in all of baseball history, I don't think you can find many years that were more exciting in terms of the players who were involved or the pennant races. So it was a great year for baseball, an important year for America. So can you draw parallels from then to now? Sure. I mean, it's, it's eerie almost, um, the, the connections between 1932 and 2020 in terms of what's going on in the country. Um, both years, there's a Republican president in the White House, um, a difficult issue international and economic situations for the president to deal with, and there's a presidential election, um, you know, gearing up. Uh, the, the big difference between 1932 and 2020 is we don't have any baseball this year. Um, it would be nice to have some baseball to take our minds off other things that are going on, including COVID, of course. You know, it's interesting you say all this about, uh, you know, what the um – economic and social background was in 1932. Uh, I remember being a kid and being in high school in 1980. And, you know, there was a lot, there there was turmoil then, you know, obviously Carter would lose the election to Reagan. A lot of people were upset and voting the incumbent out and the hostage crisis had gone on. and, And so it was a, it was all a big deal. And the U.S. Olympic hockey team upsets the Soviet Union and wins the gold medal. And I can show the movie to my kids now and they've seen it and they, and they like it. It's a cool story, but you can't really convey the impact that it had based on the time and the feeling. Then how much of that is the story and how much is that setting us up right now for some crazy story that we can't imagine, but something could happen in the next few months that really captures the nation's imagination. Yeah. I, I know what you mean about that in 1980. Um, hockey game uh, between the, the U.S. And, and Russia. I mean, it gives me goosebumps just as you're t- talking about it. It gives me goosebumps just to think back to that. I saw that game live on, on TV 40 years ago, um, and it still resonates with me. Um, I don't know what we're going to – what is in store for us sports-wise over the next 6 to 12 months. Everything is going to be really, I think, dependent and influenced by how safely – Pro sports can come back. Um, I've got one son who works in the NFL and one son who coaches um, Division One college basketball, and they're not sure what's going to happen with their seasons. Um, we've got a little bit of golf being played now. I think the U.S. tennis 
uh, Open is going to be played in New York, but without fans. Um, the notion of all these teams and games and seasons being played in empty stadiums is just beyond weird. <laughs> um, but at least I think with baseball, at least we're going to get some kind of season and some diversion from what's going on uh, elsewhere in the country. So the cold shot is the title. Did Babe Ruth call the shot and then deliver the home run? I think this pivots on one's interpretation of what it means to call your shot. If you're being completely technical and saying, did he point to the spot where he hit his home run? Probably not. I don't think the evidence really supports that, and Ruth kind of um, dismissed that also in later, in later years. But the drama of the moment, the fact that it was a tie game in Chicago, in Wrigley Field, in front of Commissioner Landis, in front of Ruth's wife, um, Yankee fans uh, mixed in with some Cub fans, and especially with Franklin Roosevelt in the audience, made this a very, very special moment. And I believe, as one looks at that at bat, there were five pitches, the first four Ruth took two balls and two strikes. He didn't swing at any of them. And he was constantly being taunted and jeered at by the Cub players. Cub fans in the stands were throwing lemons at him. It was a moment in which most people, even professional athletes, would be distracted. But Ruth was totally focused on that moment. And he had turned to the home plate umpire before the fifth pitch and said, if Ruth puts one over, I'm going to hit it out of here. And that's what he did. On the fifth pitch, Ruth hit the longest home run that had ever been hit at Wrigley Field. So if calling your shot means predicting I'm going to hit a home run and hitting it, then the story is true. If it's a question of whether or not he pointed to the exact spot where the ball was going to land, that's probably not true. Yeah, I don't need the exact spot it landed. As long as he said he was hitting it out and he hit it out, that's good enough for me. You know, yeah. the, the interesting thing about this, because we were just we were just talking about this, uh, discussing instant replay, and the baseball managers who used to come out of the dugout and put on a show arguing, right? You can see Lou Pinella doing it. You can see Billy Martin doing it. Earl Weaver and Tommy Lasorda had some memorable trips out of the dugout when they were upset. And so you had these moments. Now we've got everything. We've got we've got everything on TV. We got replay. We got super slow mo replay. It's cool on the one level, but on the other level, it eliminates the mystery and the debate. Now, obviously, there's a lot of mystery about Babe Ruth, whether he called the shot. I've been hearing about this since I was a kid. It was way before my time. Do you like the mystery, or do you like definitively seeing and knowing everything and getting calls right? I like the mystery, and I think the myth of, of that particular moment and that particular bat and other myths in and legends in, in sports are, are what draw us to the games. Um, I think we're all, we're all attracted by stories and narratives and highlights in those stories and narratives. And I think, as, as you point out quite accurately, I think, there is something about instant replay and having, you know, a dozen cameras trained on every, um, every event on, in, a sporting, um, in a sporting event that takes away the spontaneity and the mystery and some of the enthusiasm I think that fans have for, for, seeing, for seeing those events. Um, I'm a, you know, they're talking about possibly having balls and strikes called by computers or robots or something, and I kind of like the human element 
And I think in baseball, especially the fact that humans are flawed, umpires are going to make mistakes, is something that contributes to the game. It contributes to the drama. One of the things I thought as I, as I read your uh, release on the book was you're talking, and you just mentioned that uh, Babe Ruth was jeered. Uh, you know, we view that as sort of a, mon- a modern, I don't know what you would uh, call it, issue with fan interaction with players and the booing and whatnot. What was going on back then? Because I always viewed Babe Ruth as this historic, beloved figure by everyone. Yeah, I think he was loved by everyone, and I think he was loved and respected even by the teams and players that he competed against. Um, but he drew attention to himself. Um and he was a trash talker. I mean, you know, he was able to back it up. Um, you think about current or recent uh, athletes, you know, Michael Jordan comes to mind, Kobe Bryant comes to mind, as players who who could talk a good game and, and deliver, and I think Ruth was one of those. In the 32 series, there was a specific incident that um, kind of generated a lot of the trash talking, and that was that, the Cubs had voted only a half a share to their player, Mark Koenig, who joined the team in August. And Koenig was instrumental in the Cubs um, winning the National League pennant. Um, he had been in the minors. He was brought up. He, he delivered. He hit almost 400 in August and September. Koenig used to be a member of the Yankees. He played with Ruth and was with the Yankees in the 27th season up through the 1930 season. And because Koenig had only been given a half share of the uh, World Series pot by his Cub teammates, Ruth used that as a way of um, kind of calling out the Cubs players. So that the jeering and the taunting and the trash talking back and forth had a specific point related to, to Koenig and, um, and uh, Ruth kind of defending his ex-teammate. Um, but it added to the drama. And I think that's the key point. So who was Babe Ruth in a modern era? I mean, is there a little bit of uh, the Tiger Woods era of just complete and total dominance because he hit so many home runs uh, more than everybody else he played with? And And he played against other legends and with other legends, but he was just way beyond that. Is there a little bit of Tiger there? Is it Jordan and the trash talking? Is it... I don't know, maybe Charles Barkley, you know, elite athletes who are not in elite physical condition. Uh, <laughs> what what combination of current people would reflect Babe Ruth? Well, that, that's a very interesting question. Uh, Jordan, certainly, and at the height of his powers, um, Tiger Woods, during his incredible um, run, you know, were, were athletes who were superb and separated themselves from, from their peers by their dominance. Um, I would suggest that Reggie Jackson had a little bit of Babe Ruth in him in terms of his swagger and his ability um, to, to deliver. Uh, you know, it's and I, I think if you look at certain tennis players, I mean, Serena Williams perhaps um, kind of fits that also, a, a player who dominates in his or her sport and is recognized by his or her peers as the top of uh, the top of that sport. Um, I don't know, Ruth had such a cultural charisma also that I'm not sure anyone since Ruth, with the possible exception of Muhammad Ali, um, has kind of captured 
the um, appeal and a, and love of such a broad-based uh, group of fans and sports enthusiasts. Well, Thomas, good luck with the book. Thomas Wolf. Thank you very much. Yeah, author of The Cold Shot, Babe Ruth, The Chicago Cubs, and the Unforgettable Major League Baseball Season of 1932. Thanks for spending a few minutes with us, Thomas. Thanks very much for having me on. I enjoyed talking to you. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Mystery PK, storylines PK, drama. The Babe provided it all. But against the backdrop of the times, this makes me curious what we're about to see in the next few months now. You're a curious man, that's for sure. Fact. What do you want me to look up during the break? I'll look up some random thing that'll crack you up. Go ahead. Uh, what do I want you to look up? <laughs> Why doesn't Terry Bradshaw get the due as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, given his statistics? I don't understand it. DJ PK, the answer on the other side on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Action Plumbing, Heating, and Electrical. Spring into action now. Mention this ad and receive $33 off any service. Call Action today at 801-833-3333. That's 801-833-3333. All right, PK, a little basketball news, a little on-court stuff as we get closer. Milwaukee Bucks coach Mike Budenholzer said having a healthy Giannis Antetokounmpo is a huge advantage. He's uh, had a sprained minor joint capsule in his knee on March 6th. He's since fully recovered, and uh, and Budenholzer says he's in a great place both mentally and physically. You think back just a few years, and it wasn't a catastrophic injury, just as this wasn't either, uh, but Steph Curry slipped on a wet spot in the playoffs and tweaked his knee. And, you know, it's not, it's not uh, you know, Clay Thompson tear, tearing his ACL and, and being out for a year. It's not that bad. But when you have an injury and you're not 100% and you're not sure you can land on it and you're not sure you can push off it and, uh, you know, maybe it's swelling up and all that, it's a problem. It's just one of the – there's going to be a lot of differences this year in the playoffs, assuming this plan goes as we've been told it will. And certainly not having travel and home court advantage is going to be the biggest, most obviously, most noticeable one. But this three-month break, hitting a reset, letting guys who are worn down get fresh, letting guys who get hurt get healthy, this is uh, really weird. Um, but I guess it's, it's equal for everybody, right? Well, I just read a thing. Lakers coach Frank Vogel said having LeBron James and Anthony Davis healthy is a huge advantage. <laughs> is Duh! Every, is every coach going to say that now? It's a huge <laughs> advantage, except Quinn. Quinn can't say it because Bogdanovich isn't healthy. But everybody else can say it. I, I do buy a little bit for uh, for LeBron in his mid-30s, assuming he's, you know, human. 
uh, you would think all the minutes he plays, you know, could wear him down. And maybe some cumulative effect, the fact that he didn't have to play a lot last year that season, you know, went south. And so they could pull back and obviously didn't have all the playoff games to play at a high level. So for him, it was a much longer break than normal. And now he's had this break, too. So, yeah, I would think if you're counting on players in your in your mid, any team that's counting on a player in the mid 30s, this has got to be a positive for that player, I would think. I mean, this season for the Lakers literally is going south. From L.A. to Orlando? That's south. That is south. There's a little bit of south mixed in there. (laughs) I'm not good at that as far as one side of the country to the other or from one side of the U.S. to the other side of Europe. I never realized how far north. England, for whatever reason, I think London is like level with New York, and it's not. It's way north of New York. No wonder they're so Yeah, who gives a crap about that one, though, Dave? Well, L.A. to Orlando, same thing. I think Florida and California about even, but they're really not. (laughs) By the way, I looked it up. Bradshaw doesn't get the respect because he didn't throw the ball in the first two Super Bowls. Nine of 14 for 96 yards in a Super Bowl? Come on. It's about winning. It's about winning. Yeah, he did. Winning matters. Nine of 19 in the second Super Bowl. Well, that's why he gets... I mean, he's been on network TV for decades, PK. You know, so certainly the four Super Bowls have given him some status. But why doesn't he get some of the status of the other guys? because he was handing out. It was just a different game, but you ran the ball and you played defense, so there wasn't as much on the quarterback. And with every decade, you know, there was more on Montana than there was on Bradshaw. A decade later, the game had opened up, but you keep evolving forward. Well, there's more on Roethlisberger and Brady and Favre and Breeze than there was on Montana and Young. Because I can argue that the rules have changed dramatically. Yep. And how do you know if the rules wouldn't have been what they were then, Bradshaw wouldn't have thrown it 35 times. Come on, winning, winning, my friends. You (laughs) unlocking your stats. It's about winning. Winning is the ultimate stat. That's all that matters. Win is the great definition of greatness. Did you win? I mean, come on. You freaking East Coast bias. You've always had it. <laughs> you southern, always will. Southern bias. San Diego's not as far south as Orlando, but it's pretty far south. Well, I mean, you have a bias against the East Coast, and I don't care where you're from. You just are biased against, the, particularly the Northeast, where the strength of the country was founded, where, <laughs> men, are, where men are men. Especially in Jersey, am I right? More North Jersey than South Jersey, but we'll give all of Jersey. Well, if you want the toughest of the tough, there's a reason why that is the toughest. The smallest state in the union that's going to be able to keep its name. And here, I mean, so many people emanate from that state. I mean, they emanate. You know what I'm saying? They emanate. Emanate's a good word. The uh, smallest state in the union that's going to be able to keep its name? Where are we going there? I missed that. Well, Rhode Island, they're changing their name, aren't they? What are they going to be? I don't know. Oh, I hadn't heard that. Well, pay attention to the news, my friend. Yep, I'll have to get a little more dialed in. I'm heading up to North Dakota right now to change all the stuff on Mount Rushmore. <laughs> all right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Stay with us. A transfer. Now, there's a ton of transfers out there, but... Is this a different kind of threat to a local school? Is this something that could develop into a trend? We'll get to that next. Stay with us.